Welcome to the Wildlife Gardener podcast. My name is Thomas Nutt and today I'll be talking about how to make a wildlife pond. First, I'd like to discuss my wildlife moment of the week that I've really enjoyed in my garden. So in the theme of ponds, I thought I'd discuss some of the things I noticed in the pond this week. I was captivated today by watching what felt like shoals of mosquito larvae in the pond. They were moving around dodging the um, raindrops that were dropping and it was just incredible and it just felt like an African savannah and you almost imagined a, um, a dragonfly nymph to appear being like being like a, a, an incredible lioness and then you have these these herds of mosquito larvae almost like buffalo or something it's it was just incredible and I something that sort of little was just really amazing to watch and also, um, the other week, I saw a southern hawker, and they keep coming back, and I keep seeing them, and it's been a really, really lovely, lovely thing to see. Um, I haven't seen them before in the garden, um, so I've seen a male and a female, and they keep just scouting around the garden, um, going around through the facious borders, and then around the pond, obviously, and it's just really lovely. And I was at a garden a few uh, sort of month ago, and it's um, Rousham Gardens in... Um, Oxfordshire and it was just so beautiful one of my favourite gardens I've ever visited um, and there was a southern hawker there by one of their gorgeous octagonal ponds and a few weeks later I see one in my own garden so you know it's quite amazing that um, my pond can support that life that a large a very large um, pond on an estate can support so you know you really can make a difference. So why are ponds important? It is often said that a pond is the best thing you can do for wildlife in a garden. And sort of before I had a pond, I sort of thought that everyone kept saying this. And I was like, oh, gosh, I just don't know. It's very difficult to do. And I, I worry about doing it. Um, but I always really wanted one throughout my whole life. And I finally got um, to make one last year. And I have loved every minute of having it. I haven't regretted it one bit. It is so incredible. And it just brings so much life into the garden. And think about it. Water is so key for most of all life. And pretty much everything that would come into your garden is going to utilise that pond. It's going to come and take water from it and, you know, enjoy it as a resource. And it's really, really important. And I think, I think we could all definitely make space in our life rid of water, whether it be a pond, a container pond anything it's going to have an impact a bird bath you know it's it's important and i think it's not to be overlooked and it's obviously going to be really great for aquatic insect life like the um, mosquito larvae i mentioned up to the the dragonfly larvae um, nymphs and amphibians um, flog flogs frogs toads and newts um, birds will come and bathe in it and drink from it and it's so important they maintain their feathers so they can fly and you know breed well and maintain their populations so it's really important for them and mammals will come and drink from it hedgehogs really need a good water source especially in dry dry summers and it's also drawing you to watch the pond um so i really really would recommend it because it's such an oasis so there have been real declines in ponds over the um over the years Half a million ponds have been lost from the Britain from Britain or the UK. I'm not sure which Britain or U the UK. Um, and that's been over a hundred years that those half a million have been lost, and that 
number is just mind-boggling. I can't believe that that's happened and it's just from the green revolution and industrialization, um, intensification of agriculture, um, that's occurred and it's a real shame because they obviously were really important habitats. And now one in five that are left um, are in poor condition and aren't going to be serving that much good to the life there. So garden ponds are important and they can and, and definitely are a refuge for the wildlife that has been has lost that habitat in the in the in the wider countryside and the threats now to ponds are agriculture runoff fertilizers and slurry um they can cause algal blooms in in waterways but also in ponds and invasive species um sort of exotic pond pond plants escaping from gardens and you know collections and things can get into ponds and waterways and they can clog them up and they can have really dire effects um for the wildlife that uses those those habitats. For example, curly-leafed waterweed um, is one that is a real problem. And land drainage can cause um, sort of not normal drainage going and seeping gently through the land and collecting in these ponds, which, you know, have always naturally been where the water congregates. So, yeah, it's it's tough to be a pond, but you can make a difference. So the garden ponds can definitely turn it around. So I have one pond. It is about three metres long, I would say, and two metres wide. It's not the biggest, the biggest pond in the world, but it's it's really great and it holds a lot of life. And it's one year old um, and I I really love it. I really, really, really love it. I, I, I just, I can't express it. It just looks so natural and it's a real, a real place. I like to go sit in the garden and we have going out of the, the door, um, you look and to the right of you, there is a huge, not huge, a, a large, um, to, four herbaceous borders in a garden area. And um, they're packed full of pollinator plants and just amazing sort of jewel colours. And it's just really great. But I'm always drawn to the pond first, even though it's, you know, not that colourful, but it's it's just, just such um, a life magnet. And I've gone outside and there have been flocks of goldfinches and blue tits teaching their um, chicks to um, their fledglings to drink and wash and it's just really lovely even seeing magpies clumsily try and um, wash in there is just really lovely and I, I really appreciate it. And in the future um, I'm planning on making a second pond in the front garden um, because I think it's really important you know to if I can I should so um I'm going to try and make a pond in the front garden, a little bit smaller, I think, than the back garden pond. And I'm going to look at it more as a permanent puddle rather than a pond, because it won't be that big. But um, it will have value for wildlife and it will be great for the birds, especially because they really love to use the front garden because it's um, well, it's just really great habitat for birds. So I think it'll be really important for them because we have a bird bath. But um, I just think the sort of a pond will elevate what they can use as a resource. I'd also love to make a trough pond or a sort of container pond of some sorts because they really intrigue me and I would love, love to do, to see um, what that would be like because you can really, you know, observe that very closely because it's so intimate with you because it's raised up. So I'd really, I'd really love to do that in the future. So how do you make a wildlife pond? Step one is when is the best time to make a pond? Autumn is the best time, in my opinion, as 
you allow it to settle over the winter. Also, there's lots of autumn rains, so it can fill up naturally. And it'll settle over the winter and then kickstart in spring. And those aquatic plants will grow like the clappers and really, really quickly. So it's really, really great. Um, and But, you know, no time is a bad time to make a pond. So if you want to make a pond in summer, spring or winter, go ahead and do it because the life is going to thank you no matter what. Step two is to choose your location. So a sunny spot with some sh- some shade is ideal. Um, but remember, too much sun can cause too much algae growth. So you've got to create the right balance. And remember that like the most sun, the more sun you get, usually the more biodiversity you'll get. But um, remember, every pond has value. And in the woods behind near our house, um, there are sort of natural ponds in the woods and they're very shaded over they have value for wildlife. There's always smooth newts in there and tadpoles. It's just, you know, so it's, it's really, you know, don't do it if you don't have that sort of aspect. It will, it will have a, um, a value no matter what. Step three is to mark out the shape. And I would use this, do this using a hose pipe or something pliable that you can, you know, visualize the shape and leave it for a bit, come back to it and you'll be able to tweak it a bit around. And then, I mean, you can't, tweak it very easily once you've actually made it so you know don't rush into it but um yeah I think it's a really handy tool to use and then um, make sure that the um the ground is level and if it's not level you might have to bank it but remember that could be another niche you're creating so not 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 a negative you might have to dig a bit more but you know it could cause a positive in the in the long run and then you've got to start digging really um I personally like a really natural rounded shape, sort of, we have a kidney shaped pond and it's, um, it's, I think it's really lovely and it looks, it looks like it could have always been there. Um, it looks like the house could have been built around it. It's just, I really love, I really love the shape of it. And if you have a more formal garden, you could definitely make a more angular pond with corners and, you know, sort of, but make it, and you could do paving around it. I know some people do that, but, you know, you can make it, um, great for wildlife just you need to make sure that there's access in and out and make it shallow on the edges so just you know keep it all um, no matter sort of what the um, aesthetic is make sure it's great for wildlife and you know a typical pond is a very shelved pond like those preformed pond liners you can get a very very um, steeply shelved and that's designed to have a fish in and not wildlife so don't design it like that you want to have lots of shallows and they graduate down because the shallows are the warmest bit in spring especially it'll warm up quickest and the frogs will come and um, lay their spawn there so that's really really exciting and if you want to have frogs in your pond like most people would um, you know a shallow pond on the edges is really really important and also you know it allows birds to come and to come and bathe and drink and also to allow um, hedgehogs and other things in and out of the pond so they don't drown because that's a really awful thing to happen and to experience I'm sure. Toads prefer a deeper pond so if you want to to accommodate toads you can have a deeper pond Um, but I think all ponds should have you know definitely needs to graduate down into a deeper area um, because that's going to hold more water meaning it's more resilient to climate change um, with drier summers and droughts um, newts, I think, are a little less fussy. They will, you know, adapt to more variety of shapes and sort of depths. But, um, 
yeah, you know, create it. Um, if you have the space to make different ponds, like I am, you can make them in different shapes and they can cater to different wildlife. So they can even be, you know, 30 centimetres deep. My pond is about 60 centimetres deep in the in the deepest point um, because I wanted to make sure that um, in the winter life can sort of hibernate there or, you know, hunker down if it's iced over. So I think it's, you know, whatever you do is going to have a great impact for wildlife. But, um, you know, the deeper the better and the bigger the better of a pond um, because you'll be creating more water, more life and it'll support more life. So to line it, you will, you know, most people use a, a liner, a sort of butyl liner or a sort of some sort of plastic liner. Or if you want to be plastic free um, and have a better environmental footprint, you can use puddle clay. Um, I haven't used that in my pond. Um, I wasn't aware of puddle clay when I when I made it, but I since have become aware and it's I'm considering using it for my second pond. Um, but you have to dig down a lot deeper because you need to get a really thick layer of the clay to um, create a good sealant to allow the water to stay in. And then, sort of, if you're using a pond, the typical pond liner, you need to put an underlay underneath and make sure there's no sort of sharp stones, and then put the liner on. And most people will just stop there and fill it up. However, I would put another underlay and then put subsoil on, which is the lower sort of nutrient um, rich soil not the topsoil and it's a, has, a, has a color change it'll go sort of more yellowy or depending on sort of what your soils soil is like in your area it will change color usually um, and put that in the pond it's, it won't cause a much of an algal bloom and it will be really amazing because you can plant things directly into that and it looks so natural you don't see the pond liner there's no plastic anywhere you can see and it's definitely you know protects the pond liner more also because you've got the underlay on top and some soil so it can probably it'll probably protect ponds against you know herons beaks and things so it's definitely a positive and then allow plants to go naturally around it i think that um you should leave a if it's in grass especially you should leave a margin of grass which um you don't cut at all ever um and it means that you know froglets will be able to escape without being um, eaten up by birds and it's just you know really good to have that buffer zone I think and then once you have you know completed your pond you need to fill up fill it up with water ideally you wait and let rainwater fill it up um, but you know if you can't do that um, you can always use a hose and use tap water but remember you need to let it sit for a while I would say to be really really safe two weeks to let anything evaporate off you don't really know what could be in that in that water, so it's definitely got chlorine in. But um, other things, other minerals need to evaporate off and um, let the water be more pure. And then after that point, you can add plants, native plants. Please add native plants because number one, it will be less of a threat to native um, to our own waterways, but also it's what the wildlife that um, wants to use the pond has um, evolved alongside, so it will be specific for them. So there are three categories of of the plants. There are marginal and emergent plants. So um, I'll give some examples of ones I really love. Marsh marigolds, they have a gorgeous buttery yellow, um, well not really buttery, very sort of rich yellow, um, gorgeous flower in early spring, and then they'll sometimes flower again later on in the year. And it's really, really beautiful and 
it's a really great plant. Um, yellow flag iris is an iconic waterway species. Um, I don't have it in my pond because I worry it could take over too much and it's not that huge, but I would love to have it at some point in a pond in the future. And it's really great to allow dragonflies to emerge from the water and dry off and come out of their um, casing. Water mint is really beautiful. I have that in my pond and it's got a lovely pink flower. Actually, at the moment still, it's sort of lasted on and it's it's really lovely. It has a um, a beautiful flower, which is great for pollinators. So really good. And brookline is great. And it's um, that and um, water, forget me not, is what um, newts use to lay their eggs. They lay their eggs in the leaves. They fold them up like a little purse around the egg and what a special thing to do. So definitely plant one of those two. And common water plantain, which has these amazing um, sort of spikes that come up. Or maybe I'm thinking of water figwort. Sorry, I'm getting a bit confused, I think. Um, there are so many amazing uh, native plants you can have, so I don't know why um, you would want to go non-native. Then oxygenators are really great because they, you know, keep the water healthy. Hornwort is excellent curled pondweed and spiked spike water milfoil. And then floating plants, the iconic um, water plant from, you know, from Monet's garden especially, um, are water lilies. And there are two native um, to the UK, um, yellow water lily and the white water lily. And I have a yellow water lily, which is somehow, I didn't plant it, found its way into my pond. Um, but I'm embracing it, even though it's very, um, very fast growing, but I'm keeping on top of it. Um, and pondweed is another floating plant. I know it's sort of much maligned, but you know, it's there for a reason and try to tolerate some some of it and give it a chance and see what relies on it. And then if there's any large sort of amounts of leaves, leaves that fall into the um, pond, I mean, ideally don't make a pond directly under a tree. My pond is near an apple tree. So sometimes um, leaves can blow in, but I just, you know, go around most days and I'll pick out um, if there are any sort of clumps of leaves that have blown in. And that means that there won't be a sort of a boost of nutrients and it will keep the water clearer. And then if you want to top up the um, the pond, if there's any dry spells, like especially this year in um, April, I remember it was so, so dry and I was so worried that the pond was going to go bone dry. But, um, you know, it didn't um, luckily and I topped it up with some rainwater. Um, so top it up with rainwater if you can. So water butts are really great for this. And... If you need to, um, use tap water, but definitely to let it stand for about a week and then you can add it to the water. So what what sort of classically people used to do would be um, to bring sort of a glass or, you know, a bucket of water from an existing pond into the pond to bring sort of kickstart the processes in life and bring Daphnia and different things, you know, water fleas and stuff like that to sort of, you know, start it off quickly. But I wouldn't do this because it can transmit disease. Um, especially if you move frog spawn, it can transmit um, diseases to other amphibians. And that's, you know, not great if you have a healthy population in your area. So just let them find you. And I think it's really exciting to have that unpredictability, um, see what comes and calls your pond home. Because what comes is what is meant to be there, really. And it's exciting to see what arrives and, you know, nature is not going to conform to what you expect will be there so you know enjoy the unpredictability like um they say in um in the nep sort of wilding project um to wild yourself not only the land and 
another point which is so very relevant, um, climate change. So ponds are really excellent climate sinks for sequestering, um, and they sequester more, carbor more carbon um, than grasslands and woodlands, around sort of 20 to 30 times more. And a study done by Taylor et al. in 2019 found that small ponds um, can store 79 to 247 grams of, I think, carbon per metre squared per year, which is just, just incredible. Um, I mean, it's just outstanding to think that a small pond can do that. So having a pond in your garden can really have an impact and it will, you know, be important to allow species to um, move um, to other ponds as climate change warms our earth. So, you know, it's creating a wildlife corridor, sort of um, a hopping stone a sort of stepping stone for life so it's really important and I don't think it's good to diminish it no matter how small it may be so thank you so much for listening I hope you've been inspired to make a pond or enjoy your pond if you already are lucky enough to have one so next time I'll be discussing creating beautiful pot displays for you and your wildlife